could turn in our Bibles to the book of Genesis chapter 33. I'm going to read just a couple verses of scripture and we're going to go directly into the word of the Lord. It's so good to see everybody here tonight. God bless each and every one of you on a Wednesday night. Didn't we have a good time at the one service Sunday morning and night? My goodness, I just, the Holy Ghost just walked up and down in this house and it was a beautiful thing to behold. Sunday morning, the power of a place. You know, we were, we were made to, to, to understand the power that, that exists here because of the sacrifices made and the dedication of this place to the glory of God. And then Sunday night we came in and we were reminded of the, the beauty of our city, both the, both the way God has elevated it and the way our apostolic heritage has allowed us to experience his presence. And it was just a beautiful Sunday. Amen. Thank God for Brother Williams and Brother Pamer for blessing us. Amen. Praise God. Genesis chapter 33, verses 1 and 2, Jacob lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, Esau came, and with him... 400 men, and he divided the children unto Leah and unto Rachel and unto the two handmaids, and he put the handmaids and their children foremost, and Leah and her children after, and Rachel and Joseph hindermost. Amen. And I'm going to speak to you a little bit today on the subject, protecting the precious blessings. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for this gathering of your people. Pray your blessing upon the word tonight as we seek to know you in a deeper way, to draw closer to you. And I pray, Lord, you let the word be powerful to us and let it be presented accurately, Lord, and with love and with authority. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated in the name of the Lord. We're talking about Jacob and Esau uh, tonight, and, and so... Uh, here we, we kind of step into the narrative of their shared uh, life and history. And it's, it is actually the moment that Jacob and Esau will be meeting one another for the first time in a long time. Uh, their, their life was, of course, they were twin brothers. Uh, I'm not a twin, but I know a lot of uh, twins who say that there's a special bond and if you're a, a twin brother or twin sister here tonight, maybe you can uh, relate to that. There's a special bond that exists between twin brothers or twin sisters and, uh, or twin brother and sister. And yet, Jacob and Esau's life took a very uh, uh, a tragic turn, if you please, uh, at, at a young age. And so here they are about 20 years plus later uh, where they are meeting for the first time in a long time, and the last engagement and encounter they had with one another was not a good one. And uh, so to understand the significance of what's happening, and, and just to recap these two verses quickly, Jacob looks up, he sees that Esau's coming, and he begins to prepare his family to meet Esau. And he, he sets his two handmaids that he has had children with, he sets the handmaids and their children in the foreground, and then he has Leah, uh, who is Rachel's sister, and, and he sets up Leah and her children uh, that are also his children, and he sets them up in the middle ground. And then the Bible says in the hindermost, or way back, far from the rest, 
The very last line was Rachel and Joseph. What Jacob is doing here uh, is this. He is protecting Rachel and Joseph. He is, he is setting up his family, if you please, in the order of importance to him. So, so he's not sure what to expect from Esau. And we're going to talk about why that is. But he's not sure whether Esau comes as a friend and brother or if Esau comes as an enemy. And, and this, this family has to be arranged in some order. And so he logically processes that if he had his preference, if, if, if a fight breaks out, if a battle breaks out, the most protected that uh, he would want would be Rachel and Joseph. So, having understood what's happening here, let's, let's uh, dive in here to talk about Jacob and Esau. Jacob and Esau were twin brothers. Esau was born first. Jacob was holding on to his heel as they emerged from their mother's womb. And it was such a sight to behold that, uh, that, that his parents named him Jacob, which meant supplanter or heel holder. And it simply meant he was trying to, trying to pull others down to gain an advantage for himself. And so that's, what, that's what they, why they named him Jacob, uh, heel holder. He was the grandson of the great patriarch Abraham, uh, or, 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 or in the, fa- the son of the great patriarch Isaac. And, uh, and he was the second born of two twins. Esau was his older brother. And Esau... Uh, had hair on his body as a, as a baby. And, and that's just kind of what he was as he came forth from the womb and lived his life. He was just kind of a, a, a hairy man. And he, throughout his life, he was, a, he was a very rugged individual. He lived out in the field a lot. He camped out a lot. He was a hunter, a skilled hunter. Uh, and Isaac, he really liked Esau. He, he took a lot of uh, pride in Esau. And, uh, and then Isaac's wife, Rebecca, she kind of had a fondness for Jacob. Not supposed to be picking favorites, but they did. And, uh, and that was, was kind of their preference. And so Esau was favored by his father. Jacob was favored by his mother. Jacob was a plain man, the Bible says. Interestingly enough, that's the same Hebrew word used to describe Job when the Bible says he was a perfect man. Plain man for Jacob translates the same as perfect man for Job. And what it means is that they were morally pure. So even when the Bible describes Job as a perfect man, it's not saying that he was an innocent man like Jesus Christ was innocent in all things and tempted in all points as we were and yet without sin. It's not saying that he was innocent like the lamb. It's saying that he was perfect in the sense that he was morally pure. He wasn't engaged in immoral activities. And neither was Jacob. Jacob was a plain man. Thus, he was kind of perfect in the sense that he was just not getting into trouble. He wasn't, he had his eyes dotted, his T's crossed, and he was living a good life. He was a plain man, lived at home most of the time, kind of stayed near mom, and, uh, and that was their lot in life. Esau had no trouble uh, getting what he wanted, doing what he did. He was very talented, a skilled hunter. And uh, the Bible says that on one given day uh, that Esau had gone out to hunt and that uh, Jacob was preparing pottage. And, and Esau, while he was hunting, he comes back and he got nothing on the hunt. He was starving to the point of death. And he said as much. He said, 
I'm, I'm about ready to die. I, I, seriously, I need to eat some soup that you're making. Thank God you're making some soup. Twin brother, can you please provide me a bowl of this soup? And Jacob, Jacob does something that just doesn't seem very brotherly. Maybe it is brotherly, I don't know, but not brotherly love, that's for sure. He says, sure, you can, absolutely, you can have a bowl of soup, but it's going to cost you. And Esau's like, oh man, I forgot my wallet, what's it going to cost me? And he said, basically, everything. It's going to cost you your birthright. And, um, and so he, he takes from him his birthright, and, and so... Esau gives up the birthright for the bowl of soup. I think it's interesting because Esau didn't have any backup plan to his hunt. He thoroughly expected to get something on that hunt. And that's how much confidence he had in his abilities to, to succeed. And that's, that's typical of our flesh. And what you're going to find is that Jacob and Esau are a type of your flesh and your spirit. The fact that Esau comes out first and is the firstborn, that's your flesh being born first. And Jacob being born second, that is actually an expression of the new birth when you are born again. It's the second birth. It's the second one born. So the old man is Esau. The new man is Jacob. That's the New Testament understanding of Jacob and Esau. And that's why the Bible uh, Actually, it actually speaks in the book of Romans. Paul takes the concept of the elder serving the younger and he applies it to Jacob and Esau's life and says the elder shall serve the younger. And, and that's what happened when Esau gave the birthright to Jacob. The elder began to serve the younger because Jacob has the thing that was so precious. And Esau just gave it up for momentary satisfaction. God forbid we do the same. God forbid that we give up the birthright, the inheritance, the blessing, the goodness of God for some momentary satisfaction. And if you've lived long enough, you know that those, those pleasures of sin, they only last for a, for a short period of time. And then you, you, you wish you'd have never gone down that road. You wish you'd have never engaged in that activity, whatever it might be. And, and, and you've lost something so precious and valuable. And that's what happened with Esau. And, and so then, of course, that was, was pretty, uh, pretty tense situation. And then as time would go on, uh, the time of Isaac's departure was at hand. And Isaac was going to do what patriarchs did in those days. They would give their blessing. And he was going to give his blessing uh, to Esau. Rebekah, knowing that the blessing time was coming, she called Isaac or Jacob in and said, Now, your, your father, Isaac, is about to give the blessing. And so I want you to go prepare yourself. I want you to go and... I want you to put hair on your arms. I want you to get your uh, garment uh, from the field. Uh, I want, we're going we're gonna to put upon you some garments that, that make you kind of smell like Esau. Uh, we're going to create a meal that, that would be as if Esau had created it. Uh, and, uh, and I want you to go in and take this meal. They went and found a, a kid from their, from their uh, livestock. And Isaac had told Esau to go out and... and catch something, hunt it down and prepare it and bring it back and they're going to have the dinner blessing. Jacob walks in, Esau's out on the hunt. Jacob walks in 
and he begins to, to deceive his father Isaac. His father Isaac, his eyes are waxing dim, okay? He can't see very well. That is the only thing wrong with him. Everything else is in perfect working order. He hears correctly because he said, your voice sounds like Jacob. He can feel the sense of touch was all right because he could feel the hair on his arms and said, you do have hair on your arms like Esau. And then he said, uh, he said, uh, he tasted the venison, so his taste was fine. All of his senses were in fine working order except for the sense of sight. He could not see that it was Jacob. And, and so he ended up blessing the wrong son and Jacob took Esau's blessing just as he had taken his birthright except this time he really did lie and cheat and deceive. The other time he just simply leveraged Esau at a moment of vulnerability but now he really truly lied his way into the blessing and when Esau came back prepared to get the blessing from his father, his father was stunned because he clearly now, even though he can't see well, he clearly now knows that he's in the presence of Esau and he says to Esau, your brother Jacob already came and he already extracted the blessing and this is a terrible thing. Esau said, bless me anyway. He said, I can't do that. I can't bless you anyway. The blessing has gone out from me and Jacob has it. I want to tell you, uh, brother Gregory Myers from Palm Bay, Florida gave a profound understanding of this. We were with the Myers family. This is Brother David Myers' uh, son who happens to be a twin brother to his brother Luke. And uh, Brother Gregory gave a profound understanding of this. He said the birthright, Esau didn't react as, as violently to that as he did to the blessing being taken because the birthright had to do with spiritual inheritance and the blessing had to do with material inheritance. So you can see in the violent reaction what was more important to Esau. Let me tell you something. When you don't value spiritual inheritance, you're going to lose everything. And so Esau lost it all. And, and he loses the birthright, loses the blessing. And the last thing Jacob hears Esau say is, I'm going to kill him. You know, it's, you know it's bad news when he doesn't even bother to say, I'm going to. He just skips. He just, I'm going to. I'm going to kill him. And he prepares to do just that. And Jacob's not going to wait around to find out if he's serious. He leaves town, leaves his father's house. He leaves everything behind. He goes away and he never intends to look back. And the last thing he knows about his brother Esau is that he cheated Esau and Esau's going to kill him. Bottom line. That part of his life he pushes aside. And the Bible says in the book of Hosea that Jacob fled from Esau. Jacob fled from Esau. Everybody say, Jacob fled from Esau. He was running from his past. But the book of Hosea says that in the very same verse, but Israel for a wife kept sheep. He served for a wife and kept sheep. So something happened on his journey as he ran from Esau. He ended up coming across Rachel. And when he saw Rachel, who was Laban's daughter, the Bible says that he was, he was enraptured by this Rachel. And Jacob fell in love with her. He wanted to marry her. And the Bible says Israel for a wife 
kept sheep. His name hadn't been changed to Israel yet. But the prophet Hosea, looking back on the account, said he was acting like Israel when he was serving for a wife. And for a wife, he was keeping sheep. See, Israel was always supposed to be who he was. He was always supposed to be Israel, the prince that has favor with God and with man. He was not that cheater, that heel holder, that supplanter, that liar. The world will put labels on you and you will live up to those labels if you believe those lies. But you've got to look into the word of the Lord to see what God really expects of you and who God sees you as. And you're not the cheater, the liar, the supplanter that maybe your parents thought you were or that maybe the world has labeled you as. You come out from among them, be ye separate, saith the Lord, and let God anoint you to be who you truly are, which is a prince that has power with God. Amen. And so Israel, Jacob, is looking at Rachel, and the Bible says for a wife he kept sheep. So notice the shift in terminology. When he's Jacob and he's living in his past mistakes and failures, he's running from his past. But when he sees Rachel and he looks at the promises of God and he sees the future unfold before him, he takes on a new identity and he starts pursuing. When God gets a hold of you, you're going to stop running from your past and you're going to start pursuing your future. And that's important. It's a mindset change. It's a paradigm shift. Stop running from your past and start pursuing your future. So, so Jacob starts pursuing his future. Seven years he's going to serve for Rachel. Laban is his father-in-law. And Laban says, you can have her for a wife, but you've got to serve for seven years. And so he does, faithfully. For seven years. And if you know the story, you know that that seventh year didn't turn out to be quite the momentous and wonderful occasion that Jacob was expecting it to be. Oh, the wedding was beautiful, beautiful. But when it came time to lift the veil, Laban said, oh, no, 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 don't even worry about that. Don't even, don't even worry about lifting that veil. And by the next morning, Jacob had a surprise. And he hadn't married Rachel. He had married Leah. Leah was not very pretty. Leah is not what caught his attention. Leah was not what he wanted. But, but that's what he got. And, and so the seven more years he served for Rachel. And finally he ends up with Rachel. So he has Leah as his wife. Rachel as his wife. Now here's the thing. Rachel ended up being barren. Or didn't end up being barren. But she was barren for a good while. Leah, on the other hand, was not barren. Leah was fruitful. She brought forth sons unto Jacob. So Jacob didn't want Leah, but Leah was part of the way God fulfilled his promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So she was not what he desired. She was not what he wanted. She was not who he fell in love with, but she was productive. And she was an important part of of fleshing out the promise of God that God would bring children unto Abraham and in Isaac their seed would be called. So, so it's, this, it's this conundrum because Rachel's the one that he loves. Leah's the one that he's putting up with and Rachel is unable to bring forth children and Leah is bringing forth children. And Rachel can't handle that. So Rachel ends up asking uh, Jacob to be with her handmaids and then he's with other handmaids and it's, it's a complicated situation ladies and gentlemen 
And, and he ends up having children with handmaids. He has children with Leah. And he has, finally, the Bible says God remembered Rachel. And Rachel brings forth Joseph. And she ended up bringing forth Benjamin. And here has, has, has come the 12 tribes of Israel. Okay. So that's his life. Now, Benjamin hasn't been born yet. Joseph is born. Rachel dies while she's giving birth to Benjamin. Names him Benoni, the son of my pain, while she's breathing her last breath. But Jacob, the father, lifted him up and said, he shall not be Benoni, the son of pain. He will be Benjamin, the son of power, the son of my right hand. I'm thankful the Father changed our name from what the world tried to label us. Don't let the world put their labels on you. And call you something that you're not. And so, so Jacob now, he, he has Leah, his Rachel, he has children with the handmaids and, and the 12 tribes of Israel. They're just little kids, they're just little boys right now running around and, and, and yet they're going to be tribal leaders that, that bring forth the nation of Israel. Praise God. And so 20 years he's been with Laban, all of this has transpired and he decides, I've got to get out of Laban's house. He walks away from this abusive situation. He can't take any more of the manipulation. can't take any more of the, of the uh, emotional abuse. And he walks away from Laban's house. And he reaches out to Esau. He initiates contact with Esau. And he's hoping for the best. But the last thing he heard from Esau was, I'm going to kill him. I'm going to kill him. Can't believe he took my birthright. Now he's taken my blessing. I'm going to kill him. But he wants that connection. He wants that relationship. And so, remember, they're a type of the spirit and the flesh. The flesh coming first, the spirit coming later. Us being born in, as a natural man, but then later being born of the water and of the spirit. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That's Esau. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. That's Jacob. And, and, and so, so the, the, the part of us that wants to do it on our own and has confidence in our own abilities and has confidence in I can take care of myself, that's flesh. But the part of us that realizes my hope is in Jesus Christ. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. That, ladies and gentlemen, is your spirit, man. And Jacob has to have an encounter with Esau. You can be born again. You must be born again, Jesus said. But here's the thing. You're going to have to deal with that firstborn. You can, you, can, you can be full of the Holy Ghost. You're still going to have to deal with that flesh. Just like Saul and David and all of Israel had to constantly deal with the Philistines, you're going to have to deal with your flesh. Do you know that when the Bible says this mortal shall put on immortality, it's talking about your fleshly body? The invisible parts of you are already supposed to be where they should be. It's this natural body that you have to contend with. It's this natural body that, that, that begins to drag you down into irritability and anger and confusion. And, and so, so this natural body, as long as you're in it, until that great getting up morning when all the saints shall rise and death is swallowed up in victory, and this body that is slowly dying is no longer the capsule that holds you. Until that happens, you're going to have to deal with your flesh. Jacob 
I know you think you, I know you, I know you're ready to start living your life, but before you can truly be victorious, you're going to have to have a confrontation with your flesh. And I want to tell you, your flesh has put a death warrant out on you. Your heart is desperately wicked. It is deceitful above all things. You haven't met a devil more deceitful than your own heart. Your heart is more subtle than the serpent in the field. Your heart is desperately wicked, desperately wicked and deceitful above all things. Jacob, you're going to have to deal with the flesh. You've got to have a confrontation with Esau. And Esau is coming. Jacob finds out that Esau has 400 men with him. Well, that doesn't sound good. Last thing I heard him say was, I'm going to kill him. And now he's got 400 soldiers. Sound like he's going to kill me. And, and so Jacob goes to meet Esau and 400 men with him. Now, before he did, this is actually, uh, it was the day before he meets with Esau, uh, or a little bit before he met with Esau, that's actually when he went for a little stroll down by the river Jabbok. And while he was down by the Jabbok River, that's when some mysterious figure leaps out of the shadows of eternity, tackles him into the water, and wrestles him until the breaking of the day. He had to have, oh, hallelujah, he had to have that encounter before he was prepared to meet with Esau face to face. You're gonna, it's the same encounter that Jesus had to have in Gethsemane before he faced the cross of Calvary. You've got to have the battle at the Jabbok where you're wrestling within yourself and, and you've got to find out and figure out that in the Lord God you have power to gain the victory. Hallelujah. You know what that, you know what that angel of the Lord told Jacob? He said, let me go. Let me go. The day is breaking. Let me go. And, and Jacob said something we got to get used to saying. He said, I will not let you go until you bless me. Praise God. No, don't try to just get out of your trials. Can I, can I see a show of hands real quick? Just, just a little something. How many going through a little something right now? Amen. Come on, somebody. Going through a little something right now. And you'd like for nothing more than to get out of it. Stop trying to get out of it. And just wrestle till he changes something fundamental about you. He wanted to get out of that as quick as he could. And, and, and the angel of the Lord gave him every opportunity. You know, God will give you opportunities to take the easy way out. God will give you, he'll give you exit ramps. If you want to choose the easy way, you can go the easy way. But don't take the easy way. Don't take the broad way. Stick it out. Muscle it out. Pray it out. Believe it out. Faith it out. Trust it out. Worship it out. Praise it out. Go all the way until something fundamental changes about who you are. No, I need a blessing. I didn't come through all of this just to walk away from it with a limp and a bruise and a broken hip joint. No, I didn't come through all of this fiery trial just to leave bitter and broken and resentful and doubtful. No, I will not let you go until you bless me. And you know what the blessing that he had for him was? The, here's the blessing. 
They called you Jacob, and that's not who you are. They called you cheater, and that's not who you are. They called you loser, and that's not who you are. I'm going to turn you into who you are. You are a prince that has power and favor with God. You have prevailed with God and man. And Jacob comes out of that Jabbok River, Israel. He's got a new name. Hallelujah. That's not just the name of one person. That, that's a spiritual place that you and I are to arrive at. That's what Jesus was. Jesus was the Israel of God. That's what we are in him, the Israel of God. It's a spiritual location that you arrive at. And, and that's, why, that's, why it, that's why it's still not the name of one man. If I were to tell you what's Israel, you would pull out a map and show me a geographical location because it doesn't describe just one man. It describes a whole nation. And I'm gonna tell you, it's more than that nation. It's a, it's a holy nation. It's a spiritual place. And that's where Jacob entered through that struggle. And that's where your struggle wants to take you. If you'll let it. Praise God. So, Jacob comes out of that, named Israel. And now, he's ready and you're ready. To face his fears. To face his flesh. To face Esau. Do you know that Jacob and Esau were both born and that both of their the names for the nations that descended from them were different than Jacob and Esau? Yeah, their, Jacob's descendants' names were, their name was Israel. The descendants of Esau, their name was Edom. Edom is a word that is closely related to and almost synonymous with Adam. Edom and Adam are closely related words. And so Esau, that's what he was. He was man. He was man. Jacob, Israel, you're going to have to have a confrontation with man. You're going to have to deal with man. You're, you're going to have to deal with man that is you. You're going to have to deal with man that is others. You're going to have to overcome the battle of flesh and people. You're going to have to face the fight and you're going to have to overcome and be victorious yeah but I've got a past I've cheated and I've lied God will give you victory God will change your future I love what uh, brother William said Sunday when he said the church is a place where nobody has a past and everybody has a future I'm thankful that nobody has a past but everybody has a future I'm thankful that it doesn't matter what you did. It matters where you're going and where you're headed. Hallelujah. Thank God for the blood. Thank God for the Holy Ghost. Thank God for the name of Jesus that can be applied to our life in baptism. Praise the Lord. So Israel's going to have to meet with Edom. Jacob is going to have to meet with Esau. And I'll tell you why he's fearful. Because he doesn't want to lose this life he has. He's got a new life. It's different than it used to be. I'm not, under the, I'm not under the thumb of Laban anymore. And I'm not a cheater anymore. And I'm not a heel holder anymore. 
But all of that can change in this confrontation with Edom, with Adam, with man, with Esau. All of it can change. Jacob can, can, can his whole life can be altered, can be shifted, can be broken by what happens in this encounter. And he is nervous about losing this new found joy. Now, he does something, and that's what we read in our text. He arranges his family. And the way he arranges his family is he puts, he puts his handmaidens and their children up front. And then he takes Leah and her children and puts them in the middle. And then he takes Rachel, his love, his fair one, the one that he saw from the very beginning. This, this is what it was always about to Jacob. Rachel and that precious child that she brought forth, Joseph, the one that he favored and gave to him a coat of many colors. And he said, Rachel and Joseph, you, you stand back here in the hindermost. You stand back here. Because Why? Because he didn't want anything to happen to Rachel and to Joseph. And I know it might seem cruel to the handmaidens and Leah, but there's a spiritual principle I want to bring out from this arrangement that Jacob created as he went forth to meet man and to meet flesh and to meet firstborn. I want, to, I want to point out the spiritual principle. Because you, if you're living for God, have a newfound joy. You have a new name. You have a new life. You have a new love. You have a new peace and hope. And a future that is filled with all the goodness and the promises of God. But I'm going to tell you, I have seen people lose it in the battle with flesh. I have seen people lose it all. Because they couldn't deal with man. I've seen, I've seen people give in to the lusts of their own flesh and give away all of the peace and all of the hope and all of the joy that God wanted to give them. I've seen people let the mistreatment from others rob them of what God wanted to do for them. Let me tell you something. Forget others. If God wants to bless you with eternal life, don't you let anybody take that from you. Don't you let anybody rob you of the blessings of the Lord. <laughs> Hallelujah. I, I, you know what? If you, if you live for God long enough, you're going to see, you're going to see people struggle. You're going to be disappointed by people. You're going to see people. You might even be tempted to think of people as hypocrites. And now this might surprise you, okay? You know what we forgot to do? We forgot to put seat belts in the, in the chairs here. But you want to buckle your proverbial seat belts, all right? Don't tell anybody, but there might be some hypocrites even here. There may be some hypocrites even in this house. And I'm going to tell you something. I don't care who does what. It doesn't matter to me what other people are saying about God or saying about me. God has a blessing for me, and I'm not going to let anybody deprive me of my newfound joy and my newfound life. 
I've got family. I've got joy. I've got hope. I've got a blessed future. I've got a promise in God. I'll pray for you. I'll, I'll comfort you. I'll, I'll, I'll encourage you. I'll counsel you. But I'm not going to get my eyes fixed on you and your faults and let that deprive me of living in communion with my God. I'm not doing I'm sorry. I'm just not doing that. And, and, and I would to God that somebody would make up in their mind. It doesn't matter what man shall do unto me. I'm going to live for the Lord. And there's no lust of your human flesh that is worth losing out with God. There's no lust of your human flesh. That's worth losing out with God. Don't you let the lusts of your human flesh deprive you of that beautiful family God has given you. Don't you let the lusts of your human flesh deprive you of the credibility God wants to give you. Don't let the lusts of your, oh, I feel like I'm preaching to somebody right now. Don't let the lusts of your human flesh prevent you from stepping into the blessings that God has for your life. Praise God. But... Here he comes. Jacob has it in order. Now here, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm to try to spell out this spiritual principle. Because these three companies of people represent how we can walk with God. The first line is the handmaids. They are servants. They are in bondage. They are, they are there because Jacob is their master. And then you have Leah. Leah, she's not in bondage. But he... He doesn't really want her. He just kind of stuck with her. She's productive, though, and he knows her value. And then you have Rachel, the apple of his eye, his heart's desire. And he said, of all things, I have to protect Rachel and Joseph. When you walk with God, if you are walking with God under bondage, that will be the first thing to go you will not be able to succeed in a walk with God if you are merely doing it because somebody is forcing you to do it if somebody is leaning over you and calling all the shots in your life and telling you to stop this and stop that now, now I understand when we're young and we're, when we're children in the Lord that, that, that just as a child would have to have rules and restrictions because they don't know your, ch your children don't know not to cross the street they don't understand the dangers involved so you have to say to children do not cross the street but I'm going to tell you something when you're walking with God and living for God you're going to have to grow past that and you're going to have to be able to navigate some things by leadership of the Holy Ghost. And the first person to lose out with God is going to be the person who is simply trying to obey rules and regulations. Rules and regulations have their place. They are, they're important, but they are not enough to keep you in a covenant with God. I'll give you an example. This demoniac that Jesus encountered in Gadaree. Do you know how he was a problem to that whole society? Do you know how they tried to handle him? They tried to handle him with chains of bondage. They tried to put chains on him and, and tie him 
up so that he wouldn't be a menace to society. And you know what he did with those chains? He broke them. And that's what people will do with restriction. They will break them. They will break laws. They will break rules. That's why you will never be able to legislate righteousness in our nation. You... Listen, we have to be a nation of laws and we have to be a nation of righteous laws, but it's got to be something in the heart of people or they're just going to keep breaking the laws if it's not in their heart. And so, so the first thing to go is the person who's there under bondage, the handmaids. That's the first, that's the first line and that's the first to go. This demoniac would break the bondage. As soon as they wrapped him up in chains, break him. Wrap him up again, break him. Chain, break the chains. It wasn't until he had an encounter with Jesus Christ that he would sit at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind, not a chain on him because something happened on the inside and what the chains couldn't do, an encounter with Jesus did. Hallelujah, what the restrictions couldn't do, the encounter with Jesus was able to do it. It was able to settle him, hallelujah. But, but in, a, in a struggle with the flesh, if the only thing keeping you is a rule from somebody else? Oh, then that's that first line. It's the most vulnerable. The handmaids and the, and the children were the most vulnerable. So if your conviction is based on what I can do and what I can't do and what my religion says I can do and what my religion says I can't do, then you're, that's the first line and you're, you're going you're gonna to fall to the flesh. Quickly. It's, it's, it's the first and most vulnerable part of the company of people. The second group of people are, is the company of Leah. And Leah's productive. And you can, you can look at your walk with God as being good and productive, but kind of like a, a necessary evil almost. Like I know it's necessary. I just wish it wasn't. I know it's productive, and I guess I'll stick with it. That'll only last for a little bit of time. Soon you'll fall to, your, to the flesh. Soon man will get to you. Soon the confrontation with Edom will overtake you. The only thing that is protected is that that you love. That that is your heart's desire. The goal of walking with God is that it get in your heart. If walking with God is not in your heart, then you will fall to the flesh you will fall to man you will fall to Edom you will if it's not in your heart you will revert back to the Adam that fell in the garden of Eden you will you will revert back you'll fall in the encounter you have with the Edom Adam Esau man flesh you will fall every time it has to be in your heart or it's nothing at all this is why the Bible says, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. You can practice what you want to practice, but if it's not in your heart, then it's not going to be fruitful. It'll only be a matter of time. It is so vitally important that we get the word of God in our heart. Do you know that Saul was rejected as being king over Israel? Uh, the Bible says he was a choice young man and a goodly, and a goodlier person than he was not found of the people. From his shoulders and upward, he was higher than any of the people. Okay, broad shoulders. 
looks like a king. Eloquent mouth, can speak as an orator. Eyes that are insightful. A brain that is sharp and strategic, analytical. He had all the makings of a king. But the problem was that he was from his shoulders and upward higher than any of the people. And if it's not in your heart, it doesn't matter. It's only a period of time and you'll drift off, you'll fall off. It'll get to you. You won't be anything after a while because it has to be in your heart. God told Samuel, I've rejected Saul. Go to the house of Jesse. There you're going to find the next king. And I don't want you to look on the outward appearance. I don't want you to look at the shoulders. I don't want you to look at the eyes. I don't want you to listen to what they're saying. I don't want you to look at the way they present themselves. I want somebody that has it in the heart. Man looketh at the outward appearance, but God is looking on the heart. And when it's in the heart, it'll show up on the outside. But you've got to get it in its proper order. It has to get in the heart. That's why God said, I want a man after my own heart. I want a man who knows thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. A man who will say, create in me a clean heart and renew in me a right spirit. Hallelujah. It has to be something that is in the heart or it will fall in battle. Hallelujah. And so it's so vitally important that it gets into our our heart. Do you know that the Bible says that of the kings of Judah, if the kings of the ancient Israel and Judah, Judah, kingdoms of Israel and Judah, those ancient kings, if they did not walk in the ways of God, this is what it would say. It would say they followed after the sins of Jeroboam who made Israel to sin. But if they were righteous, it would say they walked in the ways of David, their father. Over and over and over. They walked in the ways of David, their father. But even though they walked in the ways of David, their father, they would many times end up in a very bad place. But notice what the scripture would say about them. Of Amaziah, it would say this, that he walked in the ways of David, his father, but not with a perfect heart. It would say of Uzziah that Uzziah did many wonderful things for the kingdom of Judah. That he built engines and infrastructure and walls and created this massive army. And the people rejoiced and they thrived. And the Bible says he was marvelously helped till he was strong. But when his heart was lifted up, it was lifted up to his destruction. When he was strong. His heart was lifted up to his destruction. Solomon, the great king, the wisest who ever lived besides Jesus. Jesus, when trying to explain his own wisdom and its superiority, picked Solomon to say, behold, a greater than Solomon is here. Solomon had this wonderful wisdom, but toward the end of his life, he ended up in total idolatry. He fell to man. He fell to flesh. He fell to Edom. He fell to Adam. He fell to that man nature. And how did it happen? The Bible says his wives turned his heart against the Lord. What is the heart? The heart is the seat of your feelings. And I want to tell you something, ladies and gentlemen. We talk a lot about worshiping God when you don't feel like it. 
And it's important that you worship God even when you don't feel like it. But equally important is that you feel like it. It's one thing and it's a good thing to walk in here and have struggles and challenges and maybe your flesh is fighting you and you say, it doesn't matter what's going on, I may not even feel like it, but praise God, glory to God, I praise your name. That's great, but equally important is for you to have your heart right with God and feel after him and truly love him with your feelings. It's important that you feel like praising him, that you feel like going on, that you feel like loving your brother, that you feel like leading your family. It's important, and I'm going to tell you something. I'm talking about intangibles, and you and I don't have a lot of control over intangibles. You better have a prayer life, and you better have a communion with God, and you better have a relationship with the Lord that allows you to say openly to Him, God, I'm struggling to feel right. Help me with my feelings. Help me to feel the way I should feel. I'm having trouble feeling the way I should feel. I'm going to tell you, you better protect that thing. You better protect that heart's desire. Rachel, Joseph, you stay right here. I don't want anything affecting my heart's desire. And now listen, I, I, this area may not be very strong. There may not be a strong emotional attachment to the handmaids and their children. That's that rules and restrictions phase. And that's easy to trample. And maybe there's not much to say for Leah, even though she's productive and I kind of feel sorry for her and she She's, she's been nothing but good to me. And yeah, there's a lot of wisdom in having a connection to her, but I don't know, just, just not much there. That's going to go down, folks. If you're just tolerating being in the house of God, if you're just tolerating serving the Lord, if you're just barely getting by because you know it's good and you know it's the right thing, that'll go down someday. But when you feel it in the depth of your soul and something in you says, I've got to be in relationship with God. I have to be in communion with the Lord. Hallelujah. I have to be in relationship with you, Lord. God, don't let anything touch Rachel. Don't let anything touch Joseph. Don't let anything touch the heart's desire. If my heart starts shifting from you, I'm in trouble. My family's in trouble. When you get more, oh God help us. When you get more passionate about the football season coming up than you do about living for God. When you get more passionate about making money than you do about worshiping God. When you get more passionate about promotion and how people view you and what people think of you, then you do that communion with the Lord. Oh, friend, you got to get your heart right. You got to get your heart right. I, I remember as a young man, there was a great service, great service. My brother and I were tag team preaching in Muncie, Indiana. IBC choir sang, and uh, my, I was, oh, I would think I was about to turn 17, and my brother had just turned 20, 
And uh, we were tag team preaching. IBC choir sang, and they blew the roof off of that place. They sang an old song, Order My Steps. Anybody remember Order My Steps? Man, order my steps in your word, oh Lord. Teach me, guide me every day. Amen. We were on our faces. There were, there were about 500 plus people just on their faces that night. The service was over. I mean, it was done. I mean, done. We were all just in a, in a third heaven. But there was something in me that I, I wanted to preach because I felt like, man, this could go even higher. We could go to another level. And the pastor walked over to me and said, with tears, just tears, and no coat. His, he's, he'd sweat through his coat. We were all just, we were just all caught up. His tie was loosened. People were, people were caught away in the presence of God. And he looked at me and he said, it's up to you. Whatever you want to do, I'm leaving it in your hands. And, and, and I thought, I want to preach. But I knew why I wanted to preach. I wanted it to go higher in the Lord. But I had, I, in that moment, I had to check something and say, why do I want it to go higher? Do I want it to go higher so God can be glorified? Or do I want it to go higher so I can be glorified? And I had to check my heart. I went over to my brother and I said, Nathan, pastor just said it's up to us. What do you think we should do? He said, I don't know. What do you think we should do? I said, I don't know either. I think we should preach. But I need to pray first to make sure that I'm making decisions for the right reasons. And I, made a, I prayed a prayer that I have prayed throughout my life ever since that day. And I prayed it in that moment. I said, Lord, make pure my motives. Make pure my motives. And I'm going to tell you something, folks. If you can have a pure motive, God can use you. Glory. And I came away from that little prayer session and I said, we ought to preach. I've got a pure motive. I asked God to purify my motive and he purified my motive. I don't want it for any self-glory. I want it for the glory of God. And we, you know, you're taking a risk when you're getting people up off the ground, telling them to go sit down. We're going to have some preaching now. Come on, get up. Let's go sit down. You better, you better, you better be right or you're going to be, you're going to be in trouble. And thank God he moved miraculously in that house. And we went into another dimension of his presence. But you can't make good decisions if your heart's not right. You'll make, you'll make right decisions for the wrong reasons and you'll, and you'll lose that. You lose the front line, you lose the second line, and they'll get to Rachel and Joseph. Sure as I'm standing here. If you even make the right decisions for the wrong reasons. God, give us a pure heart. God, give us a pure heart. God, give us a pure heart. I wonder if somebody could say, Lord, help my heart be pure. Blessed are the pure in heart. For they shall see God. Blessed are the pure in heart. For they shall see God. Hallelujah. I want somebody just to lift up your hands right now and say, God, let me have a pure heart. Let me have a pure heart towards my wife. Let me have a pure heart towards my children. Let me have a pure heart towards my career. Let me have a pure heart 
in my church family. Let me have a pure heart in all of my relationships. Let me have a pure heart. Oh, God. You know what that means? That means let my feelings be what they should be. Let my feelings be what they should be. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. 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 I prayed another prayer one time, and it was because I was so conflicted about whether I should be angry about something or maybe... Or should I be forgiving? What should it be? Should I be angry or should I be? You know, sometimes it's righteous anger is a good thing. But, but make sure it's a righteous anger. And you can have a righteous anger if you have a pure heart. But if you don't have a pure heart, even a righteous anger can be wrong. And so I said, Lord, and this was one of the most important prayers I've ever prayed, and I've tried to pray it many times ever since. Lord, help me feel how I should feel because I don't know how I should feel. Should I feel indignant or should I feel conciliatory? How should I feel? Should I, should I have a righteous indignation or should I have a righteous reconciliation? How should I feel? Lord, help me feel how I should feel. And here's what happens when you pray that prayer. Here's what happens. Delight thyself in the Lord and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. That doesn't mean he's going to give you a Rolls Royce and a Bentley. That's not what he's saying there. He's going to give you a mansion in Beverly Hills. That's not what he's saying. I'm going to give you the desires of your heart. Listen, when you delight yourself in the Lord, all of a sudden there will be a, a desire creep into your heart that's of a godly nature. It will just slip in there and you won't even know where it came from. You'll start wanting to do the right thing. You'll start wanting to do the holy thing. You'll, you'll start wanting to show love and grace and peace and hope and take a stand resolutely when it's time to take a stand resolutely. What's happening? He's giving you the desires that you're supposed to have. Hallelujah. Whew, hallelujah. Come on, protect the precious blessings. Protect the precious. Don't let the devil steal this newfound hope and joy that you have in life. Don't let him steal your prayer life, your walk with God, your innocent heart, your pure heart, your conscience that's right with God. Hallelujah. Could you lift your hands with me all across this house and lift up a praise unto God. Lord, help us to have a pure heart, oh God. Help us to have a pure heart, oh God. Help us to have a pure heart, oh God. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. I want to live the way he wants me to live. I want to give until there's just no more to give. I want to love. Love till there's just no more love. I could never, never outlove the Lord. I want to live the way He wants me to live. I want to give. Until there's just no more to give. 
I want to love, love till there's just no more love. Well, I could never, never outlove the Lord. I want to somebody to stand with me right now in the presence of the Lord I need some folks that have lived for God because you love him because you're in communion with him not because anybody forced you to not because you were a handmaiden not because you were not because you were stuck in this bondage of of walking with God no 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 not because Leah's She's, she's pleasant, all right. I mean, going to church is good. I guess it's a good way to live, so I better keep doing it. No, no, no. I, I want somebody that wants to love God like Jacob loved Rachel. I want somebody that, that loves the truth like Jacob loved Joseph, who will protect this walk with God with everything you have, who will protect this communion, this covenant, this relationship, because it means more to you than your necessary bread. Hallelujah. Come on, somebody. Do you want that with God? Do you want that with God? Come on, I'm talking about a kind of a situation where you're not tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. I'm talking about the kind of a situation that when, when the enemy comes in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord will raise up a standard against him. I'm talking about the kind of a situation where nothing shall be able to separate you from the love of Christ. Not death, not life, not famine, not pestilence, not sword, not nakedness, no nothing shall be able to separate you. Hallelujah. Come on, that's it. I want to live the way
upon the tables of your heart. to this great ministry of life forward. God bless you in Jesus' name. 